All right, we are going to jump right into it. Now, we have been working our way for the last, goodness gracious, almost a year, almost two years, we walked through the book of Exodus, and we did an, uh, God just gave us an incredible study through that. And then last week, we actually did, uh, we heard, received sort of a cautionary tale from the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 12. And what we saw there was the fact that God revealed to us the defeats as well as the victories of the Israelites in the wilderness. And what we saw was whenever they were trusting in the Lord and they were following him, they were victorious. When they trusted in themselves and followed their flesh, they were defeated. And what we found was, and God's purpose of this study and his perspective was really to kind of help us to evaluate and recognize their failures, but also recognize our blessings at the same time. And he told us why he gave it to us in 1 Corinthians 10, 6. He said this, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So God wanted us to see where they had failed and comparing it to our own story. And what we did last week in that study, as we did that summary, was we kind of looked at the highlights, okay? We kind of looked at Leviticus, we looked at Numbers and Deuteronomy, but from a sort of a 30,000-foot view, we kind of hit just the high points. But what we're going to do now is we're actually moving into the book of Joshua. This is our very first step. Now, this series is going to be called A Life Lived for God. A Life Lived for God. And this is our introductory message to that. We're only going to get through two verses today. We're going to get through Joshua 1, verses 1 and 2. But we're going to be doing a lot of cross-referencing. So understand, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. Repeatedly, we see him in Scripture listed as his minister. He's Moses' minister referencing the fact that he's really kind of like an assistant to him. He's his right-hand man. But also, if we look at it biblically, we would call him his disciple. So Joshua is Moses' disciple. Joshua was a man of war. He was a man of the sword, but he was also a man of God. So as we look at this assessment of Joshua, what we're going to do is kind of get a kind of a picture of who he is. First time we see that he's a man of war, we saw it in Exodus chapter 17, verses 13 and 14. It says, And Joshua discomfited Amalek. Discomfited means defeated. Right, discomfited Amphilech and his people with the edge of the sword. Verse 14, and the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. Now, this is when Aaron and Hur were holding up his hands and they were battling. And notice this next line, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out of the remembrance of, Am of Amalek from under heaven. So we see here he makes a specific point in this leadership role. Now, Keep in mind that at this point in time, Joshua is about 19 or 20 years old. He is a very young man. He is leading the army. But what we see here is that God's very specific in the fact that he says, make sure to rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. I want you to start training this young man. He is your disciple. He is discipling him. And what we see here is uh, the same thing. When Joshua is also present with Moses, when Moses goes up on the mountain of, uh, of Mount Sinai, the very first time. Notice this in, in Exodus 24, verses 12 through 14. They're together. It says here, And the Lord said unto Moses, come up, in, un, come up to me in the mount, and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, and commandments, which I have written, and thou, shalt, thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister, Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us. Notice the two. He's talking about he and Joshua. Until we... Come again unto you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. So we see here Joshua set aside. He's very specifically drawn out 
I mean, this Aaron is his brother, for goodness sakes. Her is his trusted man. And what happens is Joshua is given an opportunity to do things that no one else is allowed to do. Then when they come down with the golden calf and they hear the golden calf and the issues there. Again, remember Joshua's coming down with him. So Joshua gets a front row seat for this insurrection, Exodus 32, 16 and 17. And the tables were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And we know what happened next, right? He came downstairs. He came downstairs, yeah. <laughs> he took the stairs down from the mountain. He came down and he smashes those tables of stone on the ground. And he goes in there. Boy, he handles the disobedience. He brings uh, God's reprove upon the people. And what we see here is the fact that Joshua again and again and again takes this role right along with Moses. And then what happens? Joshua was one of the men that was chosen to go into Canaan. There were 12 men sent in. Ten came back with an evil report saying they were all going to die if they went in. And two men stood out and they said, you know what? We could do it today. God's already given us the land. We could be in there. So understand here. So Joshua at this time is about probably he's maybe 20 years old, something like that. So as we consider the fact that now we're about 40 years in, we're like about 39 years in, Joshua's probably in, he's in his early 60s at this point as we're picking up Joshua's story. And what we see here as they've gone through this exile, what's happened is Moses has been pouring into Joshua's life day after day after day. They've faced trials and tribulations together. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be today, as this is our introductory message, we're going to be sort of tracking the leadership transfer. Okay, Moses has been in that leadership role for all of this time, and now what's going to happen is Joshua's going to take it over and fulfill that role in our message today, which is called A Life Lived for God. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. Thank you, dear Lord, for this day, and God, just for giving us uh, the Word of God. It is so incredible that we can turn to this supernatural book, Lord, and learn so much, not only about our own history, but, Lord, about our future and about ourselves and our daily walk. Thank you, God, for the power of the word. Thank you for the spirit that dwells within us, Lord, that helps us to, to, to discern and understand it. I pray that you be with us now, Lord, that you will speak to us. Lord, I know that you've spoken to me throughout the week, and I would ask now that you would speak through me, Lord, that the human element of this message would be removed. Lord, that I could just simply get out of the way, that you might share with us what you have. And uh, God, thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, but we're going to lead us into a lot of other stuff. So it says here in verse 1, it says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. So we see there's a marker. This is a big moment. Joshua, this is your time, brother. Get ready to step up. You're going to be entrusted with the leadership of the people. Moses entrusts him and God entrusts him. What this does is this goes, shows you the level of confidence that God has, not only in Joshua as a man, but also in the training that he has received from Moses. And we look at how Joshua was prepared to transition. Okay, And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at Joshua's transition and we're going to look at Moses' transition. One is going to be taking up a leadership role, and one is letting one go. So let's first look at Joshua. We're going to look at how he prepared him in assuming this role as the leader. And we're going to take this from, from the book of Deuteronomy, okay? We're going to be in Deuteronomy. Now, interesting thing about Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means, if you translate that, it means second law. 
second law. That does not mean that God's giving a second set of laws. What that means is a new generation of people is going to receive the law. So we're dealing with a completely different generation. Remember, that first generation has died off. They're going to be heading into the promised land in, in little under a year. So Deuteronomy begins with, with Moses recounting the story of the Israelites. He's talking about what's taken place in their lives. And what happens is he's dealt with now these, these Israelites need to know their story, right? They're a younger generation. They're old. The previous generation, the first generation, well, they had a lot of fear. They had a lot of issues that they brought with them. They had baggage from their times of slavery, and they had a lot of issues that they brought along. But what happens, this generation, this generation has actually been raised a free people. They've been phrased where they could walk and follow God. They've been given opportunity that they could honor him, and that's the desire that Moses has for them. So with that heart, he's going to be preaching to them with passion, man. He's excited, guys. You're getting ready to get what we've been working toward all this time. Guess what? It's getting ready to happen. But at the same time, even though he's passionately speaking to them, there's got to be some emotion also there where he's heavy-hearted in the fact that he realizes, and he knows at this point in time, that he's not, he's not going in. Okay? So there's mixed emotions in that time. And as he's telling their story, he kind of reaches that pivotal moment where they were at the border of the promised land. And they're all like, yeah, okay. And then they come back and the spies are coming and they're like, oh, this is it. We're going to go in. And they hear the story and they're like, oh. Everybody gets in their emotions. Everybody gets fearful. And they say, you know what? Hey, we just need to go back to Egypt. And what happens there is God, they rebel against God and they face God's exile. But also Moses faces God's wrath at the same time. Notice this in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 37, as he recounts the story to them, it says, also the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. And we're going to understand why he's angry with God for their sakes in just a moment. And he says, thou shalt, he said, thou also shalt not go in thither. So we see earlier in that same year, Moses really blew it. Okay. He just absolutely blew it. They're almost 40 years in. They've been walking and doing right. He's done everything as he's supposed to do it. But there comes a point in time where they needed water. Okay. There was an instance like this about 38 years earlier than that. But in this instance, they say, look, we need water. And these new Israelites, guess what? They start to murmur and complain, and they're getting fearful, and they're getting caught up in their emotions. And you know, what happens is, oh, hey, uh, here's, here's Moses' opportunity. Okay? Here's his opportunity to say, hey, let me show you how God provides. You need not be fearful. Trust in the Lord. That's the way he should handle this. Let's see what happens as we get at this. This account is in Numbers chapter 20, verses 6 through 11. It says here, and Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle. So we need water, we need water. They go to the tabernacle, exactly what they should do. And they fell upon their faces. And as soon as they do, look, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. Okay, what a great teaching moment. This next generation, hey, 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 guys, guess what? When there's a need, what do we do? Go to God, right? You call out to God and guess what? Not only will he hear us, but he will respond. God will provide. What a wonderful, wonderful lesson. So verse 7, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. Okay, it's important that they watch you speak to the rock, and it shall give forth, give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beast to drink. In verse 9, and Moses took the rod. Amen. He's doing the right thing. And from before the Lord, as he commanded him, he says, okay, he's on the right step, on the, on the right track. Verse 10, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. Okay, now they got all the people. Everybody get here. Come on. Gather around, gather around. They're doing exactly what God said. And he said unto them, Ugh, 
He's supposed to talk to the rock, isn't he? But he chooses to shift his attention from the rock. He turns to the crowd, and let's see what he says. Let's see lovingly how he speaks to them. Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Isn't God the one that's supposed to provide the water, for water from the rock? He says, must we, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Aaron, it, Moses just is caught up in his emotions. And what happens, he makes the provision no longer about God. He makes about him and about Aaron, taking the glory from the Lord at a very pivotal moment as these people are getting prepared to walk into a situation where they need to trust God fully. They need to be willing to follow their leadership. Verse 11, and Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out of, came out of utterly, and the congregation drank in their beasts also. Okay? So Moses did it his way, and amazingly, because of God's grace, God still provides the water. You know why? Because he's not going to hold the people accountable for his sin. The people needed what they needed, and God still provided it. Now, unfortunately, what happens here, even though Moses does it his way, there's still going to be accountability for his actions, right? He, in that moment, lost the promised land. In that moment, lost the promised land. And there's a lesson to us. There are things God has prepared for us in our life that he wants for us, and there will be situations and instances where we're going to do things in our emotion, and the very thing that God had prepared for us, guess what it will do? It will slip through our fingers because we did not follow the Lord. You see, in that moment of stress, frustration, and anger, the Lord was going to provide, and God was going to provide, and then he was going to receive the glory. But instead, Moses gets caught up in his flesh, and even though he does it, God, even though, even though he does it wrong, God still blesses the people. But what happens is the people's faith is affected. He impacts them. We must remember that God is always trying to teach us lessons that this life is not about us. And when we make it about us, we'll always go awry. That is just the case. So you see, 39 years earlier, there had been an instance very similar to this. God needed to provide water for the people. But in this instance, Moses was told to smite the rock. What's happening here? God's teaching two different lessons. The first time, he's what he's saying? He's showing God's power. And he's also picturing the beating of his son because the Bible tells us that that rock is Jesus. There's a picture there that we're supposed to see for those in the future. But at the same time, he's referencing God's power. This generation doesn't need to see God's power. They need to see God's provision. They need to understand that they can trust the Lord. That's what this is all about. And he blows it. And because of that, and because of what he's done, right, he now understands his impending death approaching. Moses is told this from God in Deuteronomy 1.38 as he's recounting the story from Deuteronomy 1. But Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Okay? So we notice God's instructions to encourage Joshua. Okay? This is part of the preparation God is encouraging him. God wanted to encourage the people by providing the water, saying, you know what? Don't worry. I got you covered, guys. Nothing's going to happen to you. We're all set. He wants to encourage them. At the same time, he wants to encourage them to trust in their leaders. The key element of preparation is encouragement. 
as Moses continues telling the stories, he tells them actually about the two victories that they experienced. Now, before they cross the promised land, they're going to face off against two groups. They face off against the Amorites, and they face off against the king of Bashan. And they have victories over both of those because they trust God. What God's doing is he's preparing them for when they cross the border because there's battles to come. He's saying, look, I'm getting you ready so that you understand that I can be trusted. This is instrumental in encouraging Joshua, okay? Very instrumental. Deuteronomy 3, verse 21 and 28 says this, And I command Joshua at that time, saying, Thine eyes have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto these two kings. So shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms whither thou passest. You shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. And I besought the Lord at that time. Now Moses says, look, that was for, that was for Joshua. And we've already seen these victories. And Moses is going, look, because of that, Maybe we're back on track, and he's just going to just see if he can get in the good graces with God. So here he goes in verse number 24. Or verse 23 says, And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness, and thy mighty hand, for what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy work and according to thy might? I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. God, would you just, would you let me go? Would you let me go in? Verse 26, but the Lord was wroth with him for your sakes. Listen to this as he tells this. It's because of what I did to you guys and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee. Speak no more unto me of this matter. Get thee up in the mountain in the top of Pisgah and lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it, and to behold it with thine eyes. For thou shalt not go over this Jordan. Listen to verse 28. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So God's preparation of of Joshua is encouraging him and strengthening him. He's encouraging him and he's strengthening him. Listen to the way that Moses is going to encourage, strengthen, and challenge the people as they get closer to the promised land in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 through 20. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death. Here's your opportunity, guys. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, here's the, here's, he's basically begging them. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him for he is thy life and the lengths of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Here's your pivotal moment, Israel. Here's your big time. Verse 31, chapter 31 continues in the same speech. And Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel. And he said unto them, I am 120 years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. And also the Lord hath said unto me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. The Lord thy God, he will go over thee, over before thee. And he will destroy these nations from before thee. And thou shalt possess them. And Joshua... He shall go over before thee, as the Lord hath said. And the Lord shall do unto them as he did in Sahon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and unto the land of, a land of them whom ye destroyed, the Bashans. And the Lord shall give them up before your face, and you may, and you may do unto them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Verse 6. Listen to this exhortation. Be strong and have a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Then he shifts his attention to Joshua in verse 7 and 8. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, in the sight of all Israel, he says, he says, look, he gathers a crowd and he speaks to Joshua. 
He says, be strong and of a good courage. For thou must go with the people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. Verse 8, and the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. Listen, Joshua, don't be afraid. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Be strong and have a good courage. I'm going to encourage you, Joshua. I'm going to encourage you, but I'm also going to strengthen you with the word of God. That's what he's doing. He's developing him for the fight ahead. Be strong and have a good courage. We can see that Moses is following the exact same prescribed method that God has of telling him, be strong and be of a good courage. Now, boy, that's something that every one of us should claim. We should be strong and have a good courage. This world and all that's going on in it right now, instead of being affected with it by fear, we should be strong and have a good courage. We watch the news. Be strong and have a good courage. Because guess what? God's with us. He knows this is going on. Nothing's a surprise to him. He's not like, whoa, what happened in America? No. He saw it coming. And in so, he's allowing it to take place. The same reason they went through the hardships in the wilderness was to prepare their hearts for what would lie ahead. And God is preparing our hearts for what lies ahead. We can either learn from it or we can be defeated by it. The majority of the Israelites fell in the wilderness because they were defeated by their fears. It is that just the two. Because understand, 603,550 men over the age of 20 were in the wilderness at that time. And of 603,550 men, two walked over Jordan. Two out of 603,550 men. So there is a struggle for us to not walk by fear, but walk by faith. He said, that, remember he said, and the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Right? And if we hear that, understand Joshua's success is not going to be because of him. It will not be because Joshua is something great. Right. His success is solely based upon the fact his level of dependence upon God. And it's the same thing in this life for, for you and I. Our level of success in this life, in God's eyes, will be based upon our dependence upon Him. And then after some additional exhortation as Paul, or as, uh, as uh, Moses speaks to the people, he then circles back to Joshua in verse 23 and reassures him that same point. He says, And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge, and he said, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, I will be with thee. So Moses understands better than anyone else the monumental task that Joshua is sitting ready to take on. Mm -hmm. I mean, my goodness gracious, consider what it's been like for the last 40 years. He's gotten a front row seat, but now he's getting ready to take it on for himself. Moses knows he's a courageous warrior. He's seen him fight. He's led the armies. He knows he's a man of God. He's walked with him. He's seen his life. He knows all about him. So we understand the fact that God under, or that Moses understands that not only is Joshua a great warrior and a man of God, but he's also a human being, right? Moses knows what it's like to face his fears. He knows what it's fall, like to fall prey to his emotions, and he knows that this is, Joshua is just a man. So he's trying to prepare him. He's trying to simply say, you know what? Unless you're fully relying on God, you will fail miserably. You must trust in him. Hello? Isn't that the truth for all of us? 
fully relying on God. When we wake up in the morning, right? Do we wake up in the morning fully relying on God for the day ahead? When we're dealing with some kind of a hardship or a crisis in our family, do we respond in fear? Or do we look at it and we fully rely on God? When our finances are out of control, when we lose our job, how do we react? In fear and, 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 and tragedy and, and freak out and go crazy? Or do we fully rely on the Lord? When we find out our health, an issue with our health, what do we do? Do we fall in the arms of the Lord? Or do we fully rely on God? That's the whole point, you know? There are people right now that are struggling with depression. Suicide rates are higher than they've been, and I don't know how long our nation's been keeping records, but probably about as high as they've ever been. And people are struggling right now when the answer is just simply to fully rely on God. For the New Testament believer, God gives us a, a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter 5, verses 7 through 10 that speak to us at our level at the church. It says here, Casting all your care upon Him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, for He careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Okay, be aware of your enemy, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Understand, he can't take our souls, he can't take our salvation, but he can sure mess up our life. And he is all about that, man. He wants to devour us with fear. Verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Look, you can stand against this wicked one if you'll have faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in, that are in the world. He says, look, all of us are facing the same issue. No one's not under attack. Everyone is dealing with the same stuff. He's got a pre Every one of us are his prey. But simply look at this answer at the end, verse 10. But the grace of all, the, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, right? Listen to that part. We don't want the part. We don't like the suffer part. <laughs> None of us are like, yeah, bring on the suffering. Can't wait. No. We all want life to be peachy keen and all about, you know, puppy dogs and rainbows, but that's not the way life is because God teaches us in the valleys, right? The fertile ground is not on the mountaintop. The fertile ground is in the valley. If this is our faith, man, you're going to grow here. We grow dependent upon God when we're broken, when we're on our knees, when we're in a dependent state. So what happens here? He's saying, look, you know what? Understand, I'm going to let you suffer for a while because I need you to grow. And as you grow, what's going to happen? He says, you know, you, through our growth, he says, make you perfect. That word perfect means mature. Without adversity, we won't mature. And then once we mature, he says, I'll establish you, strengthen you, and I will settle you to where you will not be living in fear. You will stand with confidence as you face the opposition ahead. Be strong and have a good courage. You see, not only was, does Moses know what Joshua's about to face, but so does God. And that's why he gave him Moses. <laughs> he knew. He gave him a disciple or and for 40 years, Moses poured his life into Joshua. It was all about duplicating himself in this young man, teaching him the traits of leadership and faithfulness to God that allowed him to be successful. Amen. And see, understand, if you're a disciple or if you're involved in discipleship in any way, shape, or form, either as a disciple or a discipler, you cannot invest your time and your life in a better way. There's this incredible picture in Joshua and Moses where Moses pours into Joshua and Joshua receives it and Joshua becomes even more than he does things that Moses couldn't do. That should be our desire. We want our disciple to be more successful in the Lord and have a better walk with God than we ever did. 
It's about not only duplicating ourselves, but duplicating somebody who's even more trusting of the Lord. And they have this opportunity with this next generation. But in order for this to happen, we must encourage and strengthen our disciples. We encourage them through our relationship, through our relationship with them. You encourage them because the fact is, the Bible says we bear one another's burdens, right? When we disciple somebody, we walk through life with them. We walk their days that are great, and we walk the days where they fail. We help them up. It's like a parent teaching a child to walk. We help them up. You don't kick them when they fall down. You stink at walking. We don't do that. We go, hey, come on, let me help you up. Come on, come on. Uh, 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 uh. Right? Little by little, we walk them along. And eventually, when you're, you know, in the beginning, they're like, like this. And you're like, oh, 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 the parents are like this. Oh, man, don't, don't, oh, I got you. Right? And when you're discipling somebody, when they first get saved, guess what? That's where they are. Their life is just like out of control. And you're like, whoa, 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 let me put some bumpers in here and try to keep you under control. Because what you're trying to do is, to, this is holiness. Remember, that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, but my emotions tell me to go here. My emotions tell me to go here. Yeah, I know your emotions are telling you that, but your emotions shouldn't drive. They should be the passengers in your life, not the driver. Let your holiness, let God be the lead. Let him guide you. So what happens? We guide them along this path. And that's what Joshua has done. He's invested in him. And what we have is this beautiful picture of the fact that we pour into someone else's life. And we do it by strengthening them through our relationship. But also, then what do we do? We strengthen them through their walk with God. We do this through the word of God, through the lessons as we teach them. As we walk through their discipleship materials, we're teaching them the word. We're grounding them in that. And we're also not only teaching the word through the lessons and through the words that we say, but also the life that we live. Because remember, we set examples. And just so you know, parents, you're all disciples or disciplers. You're discipling little kids. And guess what they're doing? They're watching you. You're to encourage them, not discourage them. Encourage them to walk with God. You're to strengthen them through your walk with God and through teaching them the word of God. So praise the Lord for that beautiful example that we see in his life. So it's a matter of encouraging them through the relationship and others. But understand also at the same time, as we're seeing Joshua take up this leadership role, what we're watching is we're watching Moses let one go. That's not easy. That's not easy. So we see how God's prepared Joshua. Now let's look at how God prepares Moses to let it go. Deuteronomy 32, verses 49 through 52. This is what God says to Moses. Get thee up into this mount, Abiram, and Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, that is over against Jericho. And behold, the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel for possession. And he says here, and die in the mountain. Thither thou goest up, and he gathered, be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother died in Mount Hor, and was gathered unto his people. Because, explains to him why, because ye trespassed against me, against the children of Israel at the mount, at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because ye sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel. That's the issue. Ye sanctified me not. You made it about you. He says, yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but thou shalt not go thither unto the land which I give the children of Israel. He says, look, Moses, I love you. I love you, man. We're friends. We talk face to face. He said, but what you did, I can't allow it. I can't allow it. But you know what? I'm going to get you as close as you can get. I'm going to let you see what you've been working towards all this time. Because certainly God is a God of grace. There's no doubt. But God is also a God of justice. And it wasn't so much about how it impacted God as much as the way it has impacted the people and the way God was seen in the eyes of the people. So the challenge here, right? The challenge was to come, the challenges that were to come were, were, were crucially 
uh, going to be difficult. And what happens is their confidence in their leadership and their confidence in God was absolutely essential as they were going into this. And what we see is that God's brutally honest with Moses. Moses knows where he stands. He's completely honest with him as he reveals his sin. Moses knew that his day was coming, and he also knew that he had trained his replacement. And what's interesting in that respect is a really great lesson for us. Because all of us, if we have a role in ministry, we should be actively looking for someone to replace us. We should be actively working to train someone else to come along and fulfill our role. Because guess what? None of us are promised tomorrow. This is true for so many of us. Because you know what? I mean, people slip off the earth every day. We think we got all the time in the world, and the next thing you're gone. Now, what if, I, what if we don't have somebody to replace us? Now, I'm, I'm actively looking for somebody to replace me. I'm actively looking for somebody that wants to, to, to pastor a church. And you know what? Long term, our goal and our desire is the fact that we would plant hope all over this city because we take men and train them to pastor churches, and we would train them and put them in places where they can minister to people because this place is a place of restoration. But guess what? This is just one. What if we had a place of restoration all over the city for the broken people of this, of this area? That's what this place needs. They don't need to be motivated. They don't, learn, learn how, they don't need to learn how to have their best life today. Because guess what? If this is our best life, we're in big trouble. <laughs> Your best life is not going to be on this earth. You will never, ever have it here. And anybody tells you that is full of whatever you want to put in, fill in the blank on that one. But bottom line is you and I, our best life is to come. That's why the Bible says set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's a load of garbage. Anyway, that's not my message, but I just got sidetracked for a second. Back to what we were talking about. <laughs> so what we see here is God was very honest with him. He's got his trained, his replacements ready and prepared. And the whole thing is, this is a matter of the way God communicates with Moses is in a very straightforward manner. But also what he's done is he's not only helping him and comforting him by simply telling him what's to come, but also saying, look, you know what? And you need not worry because your responsibilities are taken care of. We've got somebody. Joshua is going to fulfill this role. So notice way back in the very beginning of the Exodus, he's telling him, hey, make sure to tell this to Joshua. Hey, make sure to take Joshua with you all this time because what it does is it gives comfort to Moses. Moses has got to be going, you know, what's going to happen? What's happening? What's happening? If he didn't have someone in place, my goodness, can you imagine the stress that he would be under? How can I leave this place? What's going to happen to the people? But now he has this confidence knowing that Joshua is ready. Notice this in Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 12. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the... Now, it's assumed that this is recorded by Joshua, obviously, because this is talking about Moses' death. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the Mount of Nebo on the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea, and the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, and the city of palm trees unto Zoar. So he looks out and he sees everything. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. He says, look, you know that the thing you've been working towards all this time? Just look out there. That land flowing with milk and honey, look at the abundance of where they're getting ready to go. You're coming out of the wilderness where you guys have been surviving on man and there's nothing else around. But look out there, Moses. Look out there. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. And there are several interesting parts of these last words that God speaks to Moses. First, we see that he reiterates his promise to him. He reiterates his promise and says, look, be confident. And he comforts him in that moment because Moses knows. 
He knows he's not leaving this mountain. He knows he's breathing his last few breaths. And what's remarkable, and we'll find out in a minute, is the fact that it's not, he didn't die of old age. I'll get to that in a minute. But he explains what's happening here. And you see God's kindness. He says, you know what? I'm letting you see this with your eyes. I could have told you about it. I could have pointed it to you. But I got you here so you can look and see. And Joshua, guess what? He's ready to go. Everything's prepared. Moses. You can relax. You've carried this load for 40 years. You can relax. So it's got to be with mixed emotions, man. He's got to be excited as he looks out and he goes, there it is. <laughs> the generation's ready. The last one of the old ones is dead. And guess what? We're getting ready to roll on in. Here it comes. And he's looking out there. But at the same time, those mixed emotions of feeling, you know what? But I'm going to miss it. I got so close. Why couldn't I just have trusted the Lord? Why couldn't I have just done it right? Even I am going to be overthrown in the wilderness. What a lesson to learn. God holds us accountable. The Bible says, sow to the flesh, reap corruption. Moses doesn't notice that Moses does not complain or say a word. He simply accepts God's explanation and trusts that God's way is best, and he's right. What a wonderful lesson for us. What if, if we, what if we had dealt with adversity or we had something happen in our life that we were so upset about, so dissatisfied, so freaked out about it, instead of saying a word and complaining and whining, we just said, you know what? God's way is best. Amen. Moses does not want to die. We know that. He asked if he didn't have to. He's like, look, could I go? Could I maybe? God said, no, this isn't your time. But understand, every one of us is going to face opposition in this life. We're going to face adversity in this life. And sometimes God's going to allow things to happen in our life that we will not like. But we've got to be willing to say, you know what? Your way is best. And I'm going to trust you in the midst of this. He continues, verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. And there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. Now, there's a lot of discussion among scholars about why it is that God hides Moses' body, okay? Some people believe that Moses' body was hidden because of the proclivity that these people had to worship things that they might go, oh, let's go and build an altar where Moses is buried and let's go worship him. So maybe they believe to protect him from that. Then there's others that believe that, now, there's a reference in, chapter, in Jude um, 1.9. It says this, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Okay, he says they're fighting over the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. And what happens is people theorize the fact that maybe the reason why the devil wanted to get a hold of that body was the fact that he was trying to disrupt Moses showing up on the Mount of Transfiguration when he would appear there at the Mount. Or maybe the fact that he was trying to interfere with the fact that he was going to be one of the two witnesses during the tribulation that would show up. Right? We don't really know why, but we do know this. Moses is the only person in the Bible that we have a recorded history of that God buries him himself. They had a very special relationship. Verse 7, And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim. Understand, listen to this. He was clear-minded, wide awake. He was, he was, uh, he was perky. 
nor his natural force abated. He was physically strong. For goodness sakes, the man just climbed a mountain. Hello? <laughs> 120 years old, he just climbed to the top of a mountain. The guy had been in pretty good shape. I think all of us would be pretty, have a pretty hard time getting to the top of Mount Pisgah. I've never been there, but I'd imagine if we got there, we'd be pretty winded. But he's able to, he's up there, and you know what? So it happens. It was just simply Moses' time to go. And there are times, and you know what? There are people that we'll lose in our life, and you know what? It's just going to be Moses. It's just going to be their time to go. And sometimes you go, why did they have to leave so early? Or why did this happen? Why did this have to happen? Understand, not that God necessarily wills them to die, but we got to remember that there are results to our behavior, right? We sow, we sow into the flesh, we reap corruption. There are people that live lives, of very unhealthy lives. And sometimes they die early. And people are like, why would God allow them to die? It's not a result of God going, look, I just want to kill them. It's the fact that there are repercussions. Understand, when sin entered the world, the Bible says that death entered into the world, and everything entered that cycle of death. The planet, the people, the plants, the animals, everything's entered cycle of death. It's just a part of this journey. But what I understand here, the fact that what's so amazing is how God many times used death, uses death to bring life. We see that cycle in the life cycle, but many times spiritually, because there is no richer ground to preach a salvation message than at a funeral because people are thinking about their eternity. They're considering. And it makes me think there was a friend of ours named Stephanie Helms. Stephanie, at the age of like 32 years old, she got cancer at age 30, and for two years she battled it. And at 32 years old, she was gone. Five-year-old son, young widowed husband. And we would look at that and go, why? Why, why, why? And what was amazing is when you go and read Stephanie's journal, which Chris showed, shared with me, one of the things that she asked for She said, Lord, that my death might bring the word of God to people I care about who would not otherwise hear it. And at her funeral, there was a line, row after row of people. She was a nurse of all these physicians and nurses. And Jonathan Blankenship, who's a pastor of the church, he said, you know what? She wanted you to be here. I'm sure she invited you otherwise. But guess what? If it was took her life to get you here, I know she would have willing. God doesn't work the way we work. He's about the end result. Hebrews 9.27 says this. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So the Lord has a plan for every life and for every death, which is remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Verse number 8. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him, listen to sir, listening to Joshua, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So just like Shannon, Moses, right? His life and his death brought people together to hear the word of God. And then we get Moses' epitaph in verses 10 through 12. Epitaph for you kids, that's the summary of his life. And there arose not a prophet since in all Israel, like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, special. And in all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all the servants and all his land, and in all that mighty hand and all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. 
This man was a man of God. And I think about the words of the Apostle Paul. And I think about Moses up on that mountain as a man of God. And I would think he, he would say something very similar to what 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 and 7 say. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And Moses did just that. He kept the faith to the end, and he trusted the Lord as he took his last breath. So we see God's preparation of Moses involved comfort and assurance, which can be seen through the steps that he took with Moses, where he communicated with him honestly, where he had Moses, he already had Joshua in place, and then he gave him that grace to see where it is things were going. And as this transfer of power takes place, both men were prepared. Both men are ready because Moses and Joshua both fully trusted and followed God. We've seen God's preparation for leadership from two perspectives, right? One, setting it down. Another one, picking it up. And see, we think about this and we go, well, how does this apply to my life? Well, boy, as parents, there's a really, there's a tie there for sure. Because as parents, sometimes it's hard for us to let go of that role in our children's lives. But then for the kid, it's also hard to stop being dependent upon our parents and to take those steps of faith to trust in God ourselves. But see, if we disciple our kids properly, the transition is smooth. If we don't, it's a rocky, rocky road for both parent and child. What are we trying to do? We're trying to prepare them for a life of challenges that's to come. Now, this can be in our relationships, obviously, with our kids, but it can also be at our work. It could be in a ministry role, whatever it is. But bottom line is, the goal was Joshua was encouraged and strengthened for the task ahead, while Moses was comforted and reassured to let go. In both instances, the one thing that was absolutely crucial, one element, was a close and dependent walk with God. Whether taking up a responsibility or letting one go. So as we prepare this, to go on this adventure with Joshua, as we prepare to, to cross over the Jordan and move into the promised land and all that's going to happen and what's ahead of us, which is going to be awesome, it's important that we remember how this relates to us. Because there are going to be in our lives times when we're going to either do one or the other, either let go or take up responsibility of leadership. And we can either do it trusting in the Lord, letting him guide us, strengthen us, encourage us, and comfort us, or we can do it on our own and suffer and deal with the fear and the discontentment and the, the doubts that will flood into our lives. See, God wants to give us confidence. In the end, see, the results will bear out how he did. The results will show us how successful we were as parents, in our careers maybe, in our ministry. See, Joshua's life was a result of the legacy left behind because of Moses' faithful life and service to God. His success will be dependent upon that. Jesus or, or Moses followed the Lord and trusted his leadership and did what he asked him. And see, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. What will our legacy be? At our work, 
our ministry, and the biggest one we have, our family. What will our legacy be? Will we have lived a life for ourselves? Or will we be like Joshua, like Moses, and live a life lived for God? We get to choose. It's up to us. Remember what God said? Be strong and have a good courage. And when we go out into this world, remember what he told him. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. There are challenges ahead, but he will be with us through it all. Take up the leadership that's offered. Train those others in your life that you want to build up. We've got to be willing to invest in ourselves, but also invest in others. We do it through strengthening. We do it through encouraging. We do it through comforting, through reassuring. Figure out how God can use you. Find people in your life that you can invest in and make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today and this opportunity you've given us. Lord, in your word, just to hear the incredible truths that uh, were, were, were reflected and shown and taught to us through the life of Moses and the life of Joshua. And as we do prepare, Father, for the adventure that's ahead, as we go into the promised land, God, I do thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us through your word, Lord Jesus, for the incredible insights that will apply not only to the history that we'll learn, but Lord, to our own lives. Thank you for today. I pray, God, that you'll continue to work in our hearts throughout this week and encourage us, Father, that we might be those men and women of God that will stand for the truth. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. If you're here today, if you're online, and you say, you know, Pastor, I, right now I don't know where I stand with God. Understand, 19 years ago, I had never been in church my entire life. I did not know who God was. I'd heard about him. I believed in him, but I didn't never received him. And that's the difference. There are people out there that say, oh, I believe in God, and that's great. But you can believe in God and go straight to hell. The devil himself believes in God. The demons believe in God. It's not a matter of just believing. It's a matter of giving our hearts to him. Now, if you're out there and you say, you know what? I've never received Christ as my savior. I may have been in church my whole life. I may have prayed. I may know the Bible, but I've never made that choice. There's never been a time in my life when I went from being lost to being saved because I know I gave my heart to Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do that. Whether this is recorded and you're watching it 10 years from now, I don't care. God is always listening and he's ready for you as we speak. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, it's not a ceremony. There's not a magic prayer. It's just a matter of giving your heart to the Lord. The Bible says that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, it will not be the words of this prayer, but this will be your heart that God's listening to. So repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am sorry for my sins. I know that you died for me and that you love me. And I'm so thankful for that truth. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose on the third day and proved you were God. I'm asking you right now by faith to come into my heart forgive me of my sins and to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.